Independence Day. What is it we Americans are celebrating? American Family Radio invites you to stay with us for Five Questions for the Fourth of July, an AFR special featuring Dr. Ray Pritchard. Ray is a frequent co-host of Today's Issues and serves as president of Keep Believing Ministries. And now, five questions for the 4th of July. These are the closing words of the Declaration of Independence. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence we mutually pledge to each other our lives our fortunes and our sacred honor Today we celebrate America's 245th birthday, making the United States the longest-lasting democracy in history. Our existence as a nation goes back to that fateful day in July 1776 when 56 brave patriots signed the Declaration of Independence. I find it striking that twice in the closing sentences the Declaration appeals to God, referring to Him as Supreme Judge and divine providence. To read these stirring words is to recall that freedom is never free. This nation was founded by men willing to pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And the continuing price of freedom is eternal vigilance. What is purchased with blood can be quickly lost through careless disinterest. That leads me to ask these five questions for the 4th of July. Number one, does God want us to be free? The answer is yes, but freedom comes with a price tag. Freedom isn't free. As the patriots proved in the Revolutionary War, you can't buy freedom cheaply. It will cost all you have. Of all the freedoms in the world, the most basic and the most precious is spiritual freedom. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. John 8, 36. The freedom Jesus gives us is freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, and freedom from the burdens of a painful past. To those who trust Him, He gives the freedom to know God, to love Him, and to serve Him with joy. When Jesus sets you free, you can be all you were meant to be. You are free to discover your destiny and to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Question number two, how can we be good citizens? In earlier generations, this was a familiar topic for speakers. We even had civics classes where students learned about our nation's history and what it means to be a good citizen. Those days are long gone, so perhaps we should hear the word of the Lord in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the King. 
This text is God's answer to the anti-authority spirit of this age. Peter begins with a simple, clear statement. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Don't let the wording mislead you. Peter's focus is on people, not on institutions. We are to submit to all those in authority over us. As Americans, when we read that we are to submit to the king, we tend to dismiss that thought because we haven't had a king since 1776. So let me rephrase it to make it more contemporary. Submit yourselves to the president and to the Supreme Court and to the federal judiciary system and to the Congress and to the governor and to the mayor of your town and to the state police and the local police and to the principal at the school your children attend. That list could be greatly extended. We all live under multiple layers of authority, and it's very likely that we won't care for some of those people and for the laws they pass and the rules they make. There will always be leaders we don't trust, laws we don't like, taxes we don't want to pay. What do we do then? Peter's answer is very clear. We are to submit. The word submit is a military term that literally means to get in line. Even if we don't like the rules, we are to get in line anyway. Notice how specific he is. We are to obey not just the king, but also any governors sent by him. There are no exceptions. That's the part that gets us in trouble. Most of us understand that lines of authority are necessary for the efficient functioning of society. But whenever we read a text like this, we almost always start by saying to ourselves, yes, but. And we quickly have a dozen yes buts that vitiate the meaning of Peter's words. We must start with command and get it clearly in mind. Only then will we be able to properly deal with the exceptions. If we start with the yes buts, we'll end up emptying this command of its meaning. The four commands in verse 17 show us what submission looks like in practical terms. Honor everyone. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the King. Some people are not honorable. Honor them anyway. Some people are not lovable. Love them anyway. There is no escape clause attached to this verse. These commands show us that submission is first and foremost a matter of the heart. How much honor have you really given if you obey someone but only through clenched teeth? And we cannot say, Jesus, I answer only to you. That's not a Christian way to talk. We do answer to the Lord Jesus, but we also answer to a whole host of people in those circles of authority that touch all of us. We are to submit graciously, to obey willingly, and to honor always. We don't have the right to pick and choose when we will submit to authority. Now, two questions arise at this point. First, what do you do if those over you seem to be fools or worse? Pray for them. Support them. Work for change. Obey them as much as you can. Don't speak evil of them. Show them honor in how you treat them. Second, what if you are told to do wrong? Quick answer, don't do it. Submission is not an excuse for violating God's commandments. But just make sure it's God's commandments that are being violated, not your personal preferences. Can we be good citizens in America today? The answer is we can 
and we must. Let us stand up for what is right and oppose what is wrong. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about how Christians should respond to the pressures we face each day. And I keep coming back to the same conclusion. I can summarize it in three words. We need tenacious, winsome courage. Tenacious means we don't give up. Winsome means we face life with a smile, not a scowl. Courage means we do what needs to be done. Tenacious means we keep on keeping on. Winsome means we don't lose our temper and say something stupid. Courage means we take our stand for the truth. Tenacious means we keep on praying. Winsome means we are cheerful when others attack us. Courage means we do hard things without complaining. Finally, tenacious means we love people anyway. Winsome means we display grace under pressure. Courage means we speak up instead of wimping out. May God give us tenacious, winsome courage to be good Christians and good citizens. Question number three, how should we pray for our leaders? Let me sharpen that just a bit. How do you pray for leaders for whom you did not vote? That's where a lot of us are today. We thought someone else would make a better president or senator or governor. We worked hard and prayed hard, and our candidate lost. What do we do then? We do exactly what we do if our guy won. We pray for leaders we didn't vote for. Consider Paul's admonition in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. But who was king that day? He was a wicked man named Nero. Nero, who burned Rome and then blamed it on the Christians. Nero, who instigated a persecution of Christians across the empire that led to believers being burned alive and thrown to the lions. Nero, who eventually had Paul himself beheaded. Pray for Nero. Paul, are you kidding me? Why pray for him? I'm reminded of the story of German pastor Martin Niemöller, who was arrested and thrown into prison for resisting the Nazis in World War II. He had a habit of praying each morning in his cell. His fellow prisoners listened as he prayed for the leaders of Germany, starting with the prison guards and going all the way up the ladder. When his fellow prisoners asked why he prayed for his enemies, Pastor Niemöller replied, Do you know anyone who needs my prayers more than my enemies? That's the spirit. That's how Christians talk and how they pray. The Christians in Asia Minor and Greece had no say in electing Nero or any other Roman emperor. It would be a long time before a Christian came to high office anywhere in the ancient world under those distinctively unfavorable circumstances where Christians were either ignored or despised, God called the early Christ followers to demonstrate their faith by praying for those in authority over them. This sort of prayer pleases God because when we pray for our leaders, even the ones we didn't vote for, we are saying, Lord, 
You are sovereign. You raise up one leader and you take down another. We trust in you and with grateful hearts, we pray for the leaders you have given us. Remember, Paul said we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our ultimate enemy is invisible. He cannot be seen or felt or touched. His armies move in the spiritual realm. This actually is a liberating perspective because it sets us free to love those who hate us. If we believe what Paul is saying, we can stand strong when the world mocks our faith. When they curse us, we don't have to respond in kind. If we put on the full armor of God, we won't be thrown off stride. So, joyfully pray for your leaders. Nothing is more biblical than asking God to bless those for whom you did not vote. Prayer has always been intertwined with politics, and in another sense, it always transcends it. We don't have to like every decision made by our leaders to pray for them. When we get on our knees, politics takes a backseat to the call to intercede for those whom the Lord has placed over us. When we finish praying, we can get back to politicking if we want to. But remember, when we pray, our prayers change the world. So, don't despair. Pray. Don't get angry. Pray. Don't lose your faith. Get on your knees and find it all over again. Question number four. Has God given up on America? I imagine some of us might instinctively answer yes, but I believe the answer is no. God has not given up on America. But we must remember that God's patience has a limit. In Genesis 6-3, the Lord warns, My spirit will not always strive with man. This verse comes in the days just before the worldwide flood of Noah's day. The word translated strive may also mean to protect. In that sense, this verse is both a warning and a promise of grace extended for a short period of time. Up until that moment, God's Spirit has protected mankind from self-destruction. But at some point, that protection will be removed, and man will then be left to his own devices. Right over this verse, Romans 1, because the message is the same. When men rebel against God, sooner or later He gives them up to face the consequences of their own sinful choices. God will not protect us from ourselves forever. Sooner or later the bell tolls, judgment day arrives, and we have to face the music. In this case, it meant that in 120 years the flood would come and take them all away. Until then, God's grace was extended by giving men a further period in which to repent. Note, the story of the flood is used in precisely the same way in 2 Peter 3. There we learn that the delay in God's judgment is not because He winks at sin, but because He postpones judgment to give us more time to repent. But God's patience will not last forever. Let those who walk in sin be warned. If you think God doesn't see, or He doesn't care, or perhaps that He doesn't even exist, you will one day be surprised by the sudden judgment of God. When hell opens to swallow you, it will be too late to cry out for mercy. To borrow a phrase from Langston Hughes, God gave Noah the rainbow sign, said no more water, the fire next time. 
It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking God will never judge us. But there is no scripture that promises us an exemption from God's judgment. If anything, the reverse is true. People say, when will God judge America? My friend, he is already judging America. God's judgment isn't always thunder and lightning. More often, God judges people by saying, you wanted to live without me? Now you will have your chance, but you won't be happy with the results. Has God given up on America? No, but his patience has limits. That leads me to our final question. How can we recover our greatness? Perhaps I can answer this by sharing a story. A woman came to see me who had been struggling in secret with alcohol abuse. Though she was a member of the church and well-loved by others, she had this secret struggle the rest of us knew nothing about. After I listened to her story, it was clear that her drinking was destroying her life. But how could she make a new start? Admitting the problem was the crucial first step. But what next? I told her that she didn't get where she was overnight. Indeed, I told her it was a series of small steps in the wrong direction taken over a long period of time that had landed her in such darkness. And I told her she wouldn't get back to a better place overnight. She started with those small steps in the wrong direction that led her into deep spiritual darkness. The only thing to do was to begin today to take tiny steps toward the light. But I warned her it would not be easy. I challenged her to get up each day and to resolve to take tiny steps in a new direction. You'll have to start in the darkness, I said, and begin walking toward the light. But if you set your mind to it with God's help, one day you will wake up and see the faint streaks on the horizon as the light of God's love dawns around you. We prayed together and she left my office. I wondered what would happen. Several months passed and then she sent me a note I still have. In it, she reminded me of what I had told her. Quote, I went back home and started taking those tiny steps just like you said. Well, it wasn't easy in the beginning because the darkness was all around her and it stayed with her for many days. But after a few weeks, she began to see streaks of light and knew she was going in the right direction. And now she said, it happened. I have light all around me. That was many years ago. The last time I saw her, she was still walking in the light. As it is with individuals, so it is with nations. America has gotten itself deep into spiritual darkness because we have forgotten God. In our headlong rush toward personal fulfillment, we have jettisoned God because we thought we didn't need Him. Little by little, we have expelled God from our courtrooms, from our classrooms, from our factories, from our newsrooms, from our conversations, and from our friendships. But that's not the whole of it. We have gone so far as to ridicule those who stand up for what we used to call American values. But once you turn away from God, things never get better. They only get worse. Can we recover our greatness? Yes, but it must start with you and me. Nations cannot repent. Only individuals can repent. Nations cannot pray. Only people can pray. But if enough people begin to pray and seek the Lord, 
the promise of 2 Chronicles 7, 14 will come true and God will hear from heaven and heal our land. This is my final appeal to you. On this 4th of July, let's take time to enjoy friends and family. Go to the beach, get together with some friends, grill out in the backyard, watch a parade, fly the flag, sing God bless America. But more than all that, the renewal we seek must begin in every heart. If America is to be saved, the saved people in America must once again seek the Lord. We must take tiny steps toward the light because only God can help us now. As we wrap up this message, let's review those five questions. First, does God want us to be free? Yes, He does. That's why He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For if the Son sets us free, we will be free indeed. Second question, how can we be good citizens? Well, number one, Peter says, by submitting to those who are in authority. And I would simply add, by living with tenacious, winsome courage. Question three, how should we pray for our leaders? Pray with joy, pray with confidence, pray remembering that even the leaders we didn't vote for, they need our prayers. Question four, has God given up on America? No, he hasn't, but remember, God's patience has its limits. So let's not take anything for granted, which leads me to question number five. How can we recover our greatness? The answer begins by looking in the mirror. Maybe we ought to sing that old spiritual to ourselves. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I began by saying I had five questions, but permit me to add a sixth. Where do we go from here? The call of Christ is always personal. He calls us one by one to follow him. Perhaps we should repeat the Chinese prayer that goes this way. O oh Lord, change the world. Begin, I pray thee, with me. Revival begins with the person you see when you look in the mirror. Start there. And by God's grace, revival will begin inside your own heart. What starts there, by God's grace, may spread to your family and friends, and then to your church. Once the church is changed, your town can be changed. When towns and villages across this nation are changed, America will be changed as well. I began by quoting the Declaration of Independence. I wonder if we have their courage. Would we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor as they did so long ago? The current crisis will be a blessing if it leads us to turn back to the God who made us. That's why I'm hopeful about the future, even as I ponder the problems we face. If we expect God to bless America, we must seek Him, and that starts with you and me. With that thought, I wish you and yours a safe and happy 4th of July, and may God bless America. You've been listening to 5 Questions for the 4th of July, featuring Dr. Ray Pritchard. 
Ray is president of Keep Believing Ministries and a frequent co-host for today's issues. If you would like to learn more about Keep Believing Ministries, visit keepbelieving.com. To hear this message again, visit AFR.net on our podcast page. Five Questions for the 4th of July is an American Family Radio special presentation. 